<laughs> That's not what I'm speaking on tonight at all, but that was, that was just extra special just for you. <laughs> I received that one. Okay, God bless you. All righty. Well, anyway, thank you, Edward, Eduardo. Um, so we've met, I've met some of you, said hello to some of you. You've all met Mary, <clears throat> I think. Uh, Mary was, uh, when I was the Dean of Students at Christ of the Nations, Mary was the Dean of Women. She was also the Registrar. Uh, she's held several different capacities, used to teach some as well. And so we've been friends for about 25 years. I was going to say 75 years. <laughs> it seems like that sometimes. <laughs> we said about 20, 25 years. Uh, and so I always appreciate it when she comes with me and, and drives. Because if, if I was driving in the dark in all the construction, I'd be in Oklahoma right now. <laughs> so... I'm so glad I made it here because Mary was driving. So anyway, it's an honor to be with you. Uh, I do remember Eduardo as a student and Sergio just last semester. I was teaching in a, a third year program that he was in and got to know Sergio. Uh, so it's just an honor to be with all of you. You're just all so lovely. I just can't understand why you're all not married and why those boys aren't married. So I got a whole lot of work to do up here. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just not that you have to be married. I, I don't mean that. So I guess a little bit about myself, and I want to get started. Um, I have been at Christ for the Nations for teaching there a little over 25 years. Uh, my husband and I, my husband passed away, and next month it'll be seven years that he's been gone. We would have been married 53 years in December. So we got married very young. I was 18. He was 21. Uh, I had just gotten saved. It was kind of during the Jesus movement swept through our little town in Illinois. Randy actually was very instrumental in leading me to the Lord. I was a little Catholic girl that uh, just hoped I'd go to heaven. I didn't know that I could know that I was going to go to heaven. So he basically led me to the Lord and uh, many circumstances involved with that. And we became students at Christ for the Nations in 1975. I know you weren't born yet. I understand that. <laughs> so it was a long, long time ago. And we have been in ministry. I was in ministry. I mean, I got saved in June of 1970, filled with the Holy Ghost in August of 1970, and got married in December of 1970. It was a big year. Uh, and so we would have been married, as I said, uh, 53 years. I have two, we have two sons. My oldest son is 51. I have a child that's 51. I mean, I'm 54. <laughs> you know, in my brain, you know, in my brain, I'm 54 and he's 51. So that doesn't work. Uh, but he's 51, uh, married. I have three granddaughters. My oldest granddaughter is 26. And my youngest is, uh, well, she's not born yet. My youngest granddaughter is coming in May. Um, and so I have, I'm blessed. I have two great-grandchildren. And then my youngest son is married, and he lives in the Plano area, and he's got two kids and another one on the way. Uh, so, again, a blessing to be with you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just going to talk to you tonight. Really, the topic is more uh, just some insights, some reflection. As I've done this for so many years, I always have the thought, what, what else can I say? What can I give you that you haven't heard before, if uh, many of you have heard probably more sermons than you can remember. I know I have. But it's important to do some reflection. And I always, at any opportunity with students, and I still teach at Christ for the Nations, I hear we have a couple current students, you and where's the other one? Oh, right there. <laughs> right there. But I guess, I guess what I have to offer more than anything is just what have I learned? 
And I generally think about, I wish somebody would have told me this. I started so young. I was only, uh, as I said, 18 when I started ministry. And there were, I, could have, I could have avoided perhaps a lot of challenges if somebody would have just given me kind of heads up. Think through priorities in your life. Uh, things like that. So we're going to talk about, you can interrupt me with a question that doesn't bother me. We have classes. I'm used to having students, so I'm used to questions. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8, uh, verses 31 and 32. Very familiar scripture. Nothing new here. No, no deep new theological truth. Just reminding you of what the truth is. John 8, 31 and 32. And the word says this. Oh, let me check my timing. Okay, 730. Okay. So what do we have, like 30 minutes? Is that kind of the, okay, I'll, 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 try, to be, I'll try to be sensitive. Uh, so if you, the word says, if you abide, what does that word abide mean? Stay. If you abide or stay in my word, then are you truly my disciples. And then this part we quote often. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free or make you free, some translations say. That was John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. My youngest son, Chad, is now, he's going to be 40 in April. I can't believe it, Mary. Can you believe he's going to be 40? But when he was just a little guy, uh, we had issues with him because he wanted to sleep with mom and dad. We could not get him to sleep in his own bed. No matter what we did, no matter what music I played, no matter how long I sat there on the bed with him and prayed with him, even if I laid down on the bed with him, you know, and I think he's asleep. It's just like his little body could feel when I got up off the bed. He woke up and would walk in. Get, I mean, it was just constant. So it was his fifth birthday, and he wanted to invite his little friend Mark over uh, for a pizza party, just the two of them, and they were going to play games. And Mark was going to spend the night. And so I said to my son, Chad, he's turning five. I know this isn't good parenting, but I was a desperate woman. I had not slept for four years. I said to Chad, I said, now, Chad, Mark is coming over to spend the night. And if you sleep with mom and dad, he's going to go back to school. <laughs> I know it's terrible. Don't judge me. <laughs> he's going to go back to school and he's going to tell everybody that you sleep with your mom and dad. I thought, I'm desperate. And so I thought maybe he didn't say anything. He didn't respond back. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I got through to him. Maybe this is going to be the turning point. And so he didn't say anything the rest of the day. I didn't say anything. The doorbell rings about 5 o'clock that afternoon, and I go to answer the door, and Marcia, his, Mark's mom was there, and Mark was standing there, and my little guy, Chad, got in front of me and stood and looked at Mark, and he said, I sleep with my mom and dad. <laughs> and that was it. And so truth had set him free. <laughs> he didn't struggle. He didn't worry about it. He played that whole night. They played all night. Mark got in his bed. Chad walked and got in our bed. Didn't care at all. Truth had set him <laughs> free to be able to be free from that. So some reflections. There are seasons. You know that, right? We're all in different seasons. I'm in a totally different season than you guys are, but I've been in your season. And that's why I can address you because I have been where you are sitting, single, newlywed since new mother and so forth. So there's seasons when you spend time on reflection. You look back, you consider some things, you think about what, what worked, what didn't work, what you did, what you should have done, what you shouldn't have done. I have a lot of those. 
things we wish we hadn't said. Come on, how many of you have those? Words go out and you try to pull them back too late. They're, they're out there. So we all have those times of reflections of shoulda, woulda, coulda. I wish I would have done it differently. But I'm so thankful for the promises of God's word, aren't you? And especially, not especially, but this is one of my favorites in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, because I quote it often to remind the Lord of what he said. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, it says, being confident, being confident of this very thing. Paul's saying this. Being confident of this very thing, that he, Jesus, who has begun a good work in you, guess what? He's the one that's going to complete it. Doesn't that give you hope? Because how many of you have ever felt like I give up? I just give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I can't do it. And when we recognize that if he has begun a work in you, and he has in all of us, then the promise is that he will fulfill it. And I find great hope and thankful thankfulness in that. You know this. We are living really in very challenging time culturally in our world, uh, internationally, politically, uh, disappointment with religious leaders, many who have several just recently who have fallen. That affects all of us. It does. It is, it is concerning. But I'm going to tell you something. I would encourage you to hold back your judgment because it's by the grace of God you and I stand. Nobody's exempt. Don't ever think you're exempt. That never happened to me. Don't say that. You never know. As long as you continue to press into him, be merciful and kind and forgiving because you never know circumstances. And there's always, I'll say this, whatever story you hear, there's always more to the story. Just keep that in mind. I don't know what it might be worse. <laughs> the rest of the story might even be worse. But you never get all the story. So hold on. That was just extra. I didn't even mean to talk to you about that. But we are living in challenging times. We are. And yet very exciting times in many ways. Warfare. How many of you have experienced warfare? How about warfare just today? How about just this afternoon? How about riding with Mary? No, 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 no. <laughs> Warfare, it is, it is real. Priorities in our lives must be determined. What are our priorities? There was a commercial oh, a while back, I haven't seen it lately, but it was from an insurance company, and it had as their motto, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. <laughs> okay, so you know, what insurance company was that? Farmers? No, farmers? It doesn't matter. I think it's farmers. But I thought, when I heard that, I thought, that's so true. Especially as you get a little bit older, and, and not that I am, I am a lot older than you, but even as you grow and, and mature, you know a thing, a, two, thing a two, thing or two because you've seen a thing or two. You, you have life experience. I just happen to have more life experience because I'm older. I can't help that. I have more experiences simply because of age. Years have gone by, and we all contribute to these experiences. And what these experiences do determine who we become. We decide what the experiences are going to do to us. How are they going to affect us? You can't help but acquire, uh, gain some insight just through living and making decisions. Some, sometimes making wrong decisions, sometimes making right decisions. These life experiences, and the, again, the older you get, 
the more experiences you have automatically, of course, whether you wanted those experiences or not. Wouldn't it be nice if we could choose our experiences? You know, if we could just, here's the ones I want, Lord, this one, this one, this one. I don't want this one. We, we don't get to choose our experiences. Life happens. And all these experiences you and I have had contribute to the growth of the person we have become and are continuing to become. Not necessarily gaining answers. How many of you have ever asked the why question? Why? I don't know if I've ever had that answered, at least in the way I wanted it. The why question. So we may not get the answers we want, but we can gain some perspective. We can, we can gain some proper ways of thinking. I pray often in the morning, Lord, help me think right. Give me your perspective. Let me see things like you see them. Because come on, we can see things and it's skewed. We can look at something and think we see something, but it's, it's skewed. Uh, we have the mind of Christ. That's what the word says. So Lord, let us think like you. Our thinking changes as we experience Oh, that just reminds me of when I was a little girl growing up on the railroad tracks. <laughs> so I'm all the way back to that now. Life, life humbles you. It humbles you. And sometimes you can look back in reflection and realize how much time we wasted on nonsense. Can you just, in a, just take a minute and look back on some things? You worried about something that never happened. We wasted so much time being fearful about something that never came to pass. When I was a little girl, uh, we were afraid that Russia was going to invade America. That's never happened. But when I was a little girl, that seemed so real. And I look back and I think all those weeks and months and even years of being so fearful that Russia, they haven't so far. Okay, we'll wait just a minute here. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Eduardo planned that on purpose. I'm telling you, <laughs> he did that. Let's just give it just a second. Yeah. <laughs> Is that going to be a while or? Okay. All right. Well, I'll just if it doesn't bother you, are you okay? I'll just keep going. Okay. I'll just keep going then. Okay. Uh, so for many Christians. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll get over it in just a minute. Um, have, many Christians have lost their way. Eduardo, I'm saying that you planned that train on purpose because it's made me distracted. Uh, working and striving for wrong things. You go after goals that are not in God's plan and purpose for your life, and you waste your time going after things that are absolutely not priorities in your life or should be in your life. It's, it's who we are that makes what we do relevant. Can I say that again? It's who we are that makes what we do relevant. It's the demonstration of, uh, of Christ, his character traits that make the message that we try to give to people, that, that's what makes it palatable. Do you know what that word palatable means? Easy to swallow. If you want your message to be palatable, then it has to be a demonstration of Christ's character. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, uh, words are cheap? Words are cheap. Anybody can say anything. 
It's what you say is their corresponding action. Do you say one thing and live another way? Oh, that's hypocrisy. And that's a dumb spirit that jumps on people. It's you say one thing, you need to live that life. Otherwise, it's absolute hypocrisy. And what is the greatest criticism of the church today? What? Hypocrisy. Why? Because we've, we've, we've been hypocrites. When I say we, I'm not saying we. <laughs> they, <laughs> you know, those people, those people over there. So a few perspectives. I just want to go through these. We'll see how far I get. I've learned these probably all the hard way. That's just the way I was. My mom used to call me an ungrateful brat. She called me that so often I used to sign my name. Love your ungrateful brat. So, you know, don't do that. Don't do that with a name. But it's the truth of these principles. Remember, it's truth that sets us free. It's not knowing something that sets us free. It's knowing that what we know is truth. That's what sets us free. I'm going to say that again. You can know stuff. You can read the Bible, know it, know it, know it, know it, know it. That's not going to change you until you know that what you know is true. Knowledge doesn't set you free. Truth sets you free. So it's the knowledge that what you know is truth that sets you free. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to go through a few of these, and I'll check my timing as I go. First of all, this is real simple. Number one. Being healed and whole on the inside is more important than outward success. Now, that's important for you to get that now at your age because it is so, the, the competitive spirit is alive and well among young people, young, among young, young people, I'll get it out in a minute, among everybody, but young people that, that striving to be the next influencer. Some of those influencers, they don't influence anybody. I mean, they are so, they just, don't name yourself something. Let other people tell you whether you're an influencer or not. Being healed and whole on the inside is so much more important than outward success. Well, why? Because outward success is always temporary. It's always temporary. Being healed and whole on the inside is eternal. Brings forth eternal benefits. I'm just going to say to you right now at your age, no better time than right now. Don't wait until next week. Right now to let the Holy Spirit get deep down into those dark places of hurt. Who hasn't been hurt? Hidden rage. Have you ever been so angry you want to hurt somebody? I mean, you're also angelic looking, but I'm telling you, I have, I have had this anger, so angry that I wanted to hurt somebody kick out a window, throw something. I've probably done all those. (laughs) Hurt, hidden rage, unforgiveness. Ugh, that's a big one. A horrific memory of something that's happened in your past. Who hasn't had that? Any of these events can lie hidden, and denying them is a dangerous game. Just get with God now and gut this stuff out. And the quickest path to restoration is repentance every single time. You feel like you're out of step with who God is in your life? Repent. That's the pathway right, right back. If, if we are not in tune, and that's a good word or phrase, but that's what I'm going to use. If we are not in tune or aware of God's spirit and how he works in our own lives, we can build 
an alternative reality of success. It's not real, we just make up something. And instead of wholeness, it becomes a fantasy. We live in a fantasy land instead of wholeness. Get with God, get this stuff out as I said, while there, there are those around you to help. You don't have to do it alone, get help. There's a book I read every year. Uh, it's called The Imitation of Christ. There's several I read every year, this is one of them called The Imitation of Christ, and it's written by, or it's been, it, it has been compiled by somebody else, but the notes, the insights, are from a gentleman named Thomas Kempis. He was a 14th century monk, and he was writing words of encouragement and correction to young monks that were entering the monastery, and he said this, one of his many quotes, but he said this, If I am outwardly admonished and not interiorly set on fire, I may die and find that my life was without fruit, and at the moment of judgment I may be condemned for hearing the word but not fulfilling it, knowing it but not loving it, for believing it but not living it. That was the warning he was writing to these young monks. And I think it's a good warning for all of us now that we don't just become hearers of the word only, but what? Doers of the word. So being healed and whole on the inside is more important. Please, I'm going to say it again. Being healed and whole on the inside is more important than outward success. Number two, this was a hard one for me. Mercy is greater than justice. Mercy is greater than justice. Mercy doesn't come natural to some of us. But God's first choice is always mercy. It doesn't mean justice is unimportant. It doesn't mean justice won't come. It simply means that mercy comes first every time. Competitiveness, legalism, or the death of mercy. James, in the book of James, he tells us that what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I, I will have to admit, this took some time. I am justice-oriented. How many of you are rescuers? You know, you want to rescue everybody. I always wanted to rescue my little brother. If bullies were beating him up, I was going to take them all on. And I mean, if the refs made a bad call on my boys in basketball, I was going to take them on. I mean, I just, I call managers all the time. <laughs> if the flag is not flying properly, I will call that company. Listen, I'm, I, am, I am justice oriented. But God's first choice is mercy. Years ago, Randy and I, we, we were pastoring in Jacksonville, Florida. We'd probably been married about 15 years, and I just kept thinking, what is wrong with him? I mean, because we couldn't think alike. We would deal with a problem in the church, and he would think one way, and I would think, it's let's deal with this. And so we took this back in the, there's all kinds of personality tests out there now. How many of you know that I'm number eight, if you take that personality test? Okay. Um, but back in the day, it was called a motivational gift test. You took this test, and it would kind of help you know what your main motivation was. And so we were the pastors of this church, so we were sitting on the front row. I'm sorry, allergies are driving my eyes crazy. And so we take, we're taking this little test, and I look over to see what my husband's is. 
And his highest motivation was mercy. Highest at the top. I grade mine. Oh, dear God. (laughs) My lowest, not halfway, lowest on the floor was mercy. So we were living 15 years like this. With, and there was not a right or wrong there. We were just different. He, everything he saw with eyes of mercy. I saw nothing with the eyes of mercy. <laughs> I was like, let's deal with this mess. He told me one time, he said, Susan, if you were in charge, there would be blood everywhere. <laughs> it's not that justice doesn't come. And listen, it made me very uh, nervous that I had no mercy. <laughs> because the scripture says... To the merciful, I will show myself merciful. I thought, I'm in trouble because I need mercy, so I've got to figure out how to show mercy. So I went to the little local uh, Bible bookstore, and I'm going to find me a book on mercy. And I pulled out. I still have it at home. I pull it out every once in a while. It's about this big. And the title of it was Mercy. And so I pulled that out. I thought, well, this ought to do it. It just, I I had to on purpose. Sometimes giftings come natural. Sometimes you have to do some things on purpose. And I had to on purpose begin to develop a fresh understanding of what it meant to have mercy. Listen, it helped Randy and I in our marriage to understand. Now I understood why he saw what he saw. And he understood how I saw the things I saw. And you can come together in unity because it wasn't a right or wrong. It's just that mercy always comes first. Mercy is greater than justice. Listen, life, life changes you. Oh, man, you think you know what you know now. You don't know anything. (laughs) You don't. I mean, you know a little. But when you're 16, 17, and 18, I mean, you think you know. I mean, I used to drive like a maniac when I was 16, 17, 18, because you don't think anything can ever happen to you. Life changes you. You walk through your own valley of the shadow of death, if you will, and you come through, you come through this life experience either meaner or more merciful. How many of you know some mean old people? (laughs) It's what they did with the pain. That's who they became. And yet some of you can know an older person that's gone through hellish things, and yet they're so kind and merciful because they have developed that. It's what we do with those things that determines who we become. So mercy is greater than justice. Number three, and this one was really hard for me. Kindness is better than being right. What? That cannot be true. Kindness is better than being right. This took some time. Most difficult for me probably and still causes a few challenges from time to time because I'm right. I'm <laughs> I mean, I just don't struggle with that. I'm, I'm, I'm so right. <laughs> my favorite thing to hear from my sons or really anybody, but especially from my sons is you were right. Mom, you were right. I love hearing that. I would, I would argue. I think I'm better. Mary, am I, am I better now? Okay. She, she would know. <laughs> I would, I would argue and debate on almost anything. It didn't matter if I knew anything about it or not. It just, it just was something I just had to 
prove my point. I was, I was right. It didn't, sometimes I had no idea what I was talking about, but I almost felt anointed. That makes, I know that makes no sense, but the words just were flowing and I felt anointed as I'm arguing about something I know nothing about. Yeah, the ATT people are, oh, things I have argued with. One day I was sitting at home by myself watching TV, uh, you know, one of those animal channels. Yes, ma'am. Well, that would be a whole topic on probably forgiveness. Forgiveness, and that is a whole teaching, but I want to respond to that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I think Corey Ten Boom said that. Do you know who Corey Ten Boom? Anybody know who? She was in a concentration camp. She suffered horrible, horrible things. And she said that, that forgiveness can function. It's a decision of the heart. It's a decision we make regardless of the temperature of our heart. So you cannot let bitterness, but bitterness will keep you stuck. And it's not going to bother the other person. It's going to keep you stuck. I don't know. I'm not sure what you're saying. The kindness that you have with them. Yes. The word says, as much as lieth within you, live at peace with all men. That means do what you can to live at peace. Did, did you know that not everybody wants to be at peace with you? You do know that, right? It doesn't make sense, does it? You think everybody wants peace, not everybody wants peace. So as much as it depends on you, be kind and merciful. You cannot, we are not responsible for the other person's response. I have tried to make people respond the way I wanted them to respond. You can't do it. It is, a, it is an exercise in futility. You cannot. Make sure your heart is right. You're for walking in forgiveness and freedom without the bitterness. And what they do with it, that's as frustrating as that is. There's absolutely nothing you can do. We are not the Holy Ghost in people's lives. I've tried that, haven't you? I've tried to be the Holy Ghost in people's lives because I'm right. You know, I'm kidding on that. We are not the Holy Ghost. We cannot convict people of sin. The Holy Ghost convicts people of bitterness or unforgiveness or so forth. So back to kindness is better than being right. (laughs) I was sitting there watching this program. It was like underwater fish or something. I know nothing about it. And I'm sitting there on the couch by myself, you guys, and I'm making commentary. (laughs) I'm just, nobody's there. I'm just talking. I'm just, I don't even know what, I'm just making, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. And you guys, I heard the Lord not say, you know, but you know how you hear the Lord say, he said, you know nothing about this. (laughs) Nothing, absolutely nothing about this. It is difficult and we feel sometimes almost anointed even in the midst of our being wrong. The, The older and hopefully wiser we get, Being right is not the loftiest goal. It really isn't. Sometimes you might end up being right, but all by yourself. Kindness, and it's so hard because if you're in a situation, whether it's something like that or just an interpersonal relationship on other things, has, has anybody, I have students all the time that quote me like on Facebook and I'm thinking, I didn't say that. But in their mind, I said that. So I, I have to, so sometimes I want to go, hey, now that's not what I said. <laughs> but is that, is it worth, unless it was heresy, then I'd have to, then I'd have to correct it. 
kindness is better than being right. Or to get in an argue, argument with my brothers and sisters, that we would get in the dumbest arguments about something. Well, no, that didn't happen when you were four. It happened when you were five. Does, it doesn't matter. But see, I would be the kind that I would press it, press it, press it, press it. And when the day is done, kindness is better than being right. Because if you press something, and especially in issues that are not important, it can cause a wedge and unforgiveness and perhaps even to the point of bitterness. Kindness, being kind, sometimes just agreeing when everything in you is screaming, I'm right. Sometimes just being kind is better than being right and helps you move through it quicker. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, you know this. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. My husband used to say, if your theology is right, but your attitude is wrong, then your theology is wrong. Say it again. If your theology is right, because that's how Pharisees are. If your theology is right, but your attitude is wrong, then your theology is wrong. Kindness is better than being right. Number four, self-sufficiency is an illusion. Self-sufficiency is an illusion. What does illusion mean? It's a, it's a false belief. Self-sufficiency is an illusion. Dependence on self leads to prayerlessness. Because you think, I got this. You ain't got it. I don't have it. Dependence on self leads to prayerlessness. You will find and it will be a good day when you find it that having confidence in your flesh is just an illusion. The, a crisis will drive you to your knees and ultimately flat on your face. Are you encouraged so far? Because it's going to happen. Crisis will drive you to your knees and ultimately flat on your face. And when you cry out and mean it and say, oh, God. I can't do it. He'll be there. Listen, when you can no longer hold on, he'll hold on to you. Have you ever felt like you were just going down that pit again, scratching the walls as you're going down? You say, I cannot. How many of you have ever said, I cannot take one more thing? And one more thing comes. And what do you do? You take it. I can't take one more. Well, one more thing is coming. So you might as well just prepare. You're going to take it. When you can no longer hold on, he'll hold on to you. Listen, that has gotten me through a lot of battles in my life. When I feel like I'm going down for the third time, metaphorically speaking, and I can just visualize him. I got you. I got you. Again, to quote the monk, this is a hard one. If you are looking for knowledge and learning that is useful to you, <laughs> Then love to be unknown. Well, that goes against everything. I mean, how many friends do you have on Facebook? How many followers? I mean, you want to be known. He said, if you really want to be useful, then love to be unknown. Self-sufficiency is an illusion. I'm almost done. Number five. These are short. Everything 
comes with risk. If you're looking for a real safe life, it's not out there. Unless you just stay home and that's not even safe anymore. (laughs) Everything in life is risky. When I get in the car and drive, it's risky for everybody around me. (laughs) No, No, I'm not that bad. Someone once said that if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. <laughs> to live, just to, li- to get up in the morning, to live is to take risks. Nothing of faith ever feels safe. Nothing doesn't feel safe. Every decision and move you make comes with risk. Ask yourself a question. What would I do if I weren't afraid? Just think through your life quickly. Think about it later tonight. What what would I do if I weren't afraid? Because you're afraid of the risk. You risk failure. Mm -hmm. You risk rejection. Uh Uh-huh. You risk feeling insecure. Yes. You risk all of those things, but nothing of life is worth it without the risk. We would be nowhere if we hadn't taken the risk. I failed my first driver's test. That was a horrible experience because there were four of us that were best friends. We were the fearless four. (laughs) And I was the first one to turn 16. And so they were waiting for me to get the driver's license so we could run all over the place. And I had to walk back out and say, I failed. I mean, but they were, our life was over. It's like, it was risky. But what if I had just said, well, I can't, I failed. I can't, I just can't. No, no, I went the next day. You know, you cannot stop because of a failure. Go every day, no matter what the risk, go after. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Number six, I'm almost done. (laughs) Promise. This is important. They're all important. But number six, don't fear the crucible event that is coming. We'll talk about that. Hold on. Don't fear the crucible event that is coming. The word crucible means a situation of severe trial. I'm not trying to be negative tonight at all. I'm not. I'm trying to prepare you. I heard somebody say a long time ago, and I think it's really some wisdom there, that we should develop a theology of suffering. I don't know if I totally understand that yet. I'm still working through that. But I I understood it when it was said to develop a theology of suffering before you suffer. Because if you wait until you're suffering to have a theology of suffering, your whole life will be, why did this happen to me? You know, God doesn't have to explain himself to us. You do know that, right? We, We put God many times on the witness stand and we question him. We take him to court, don't we? The word crucible, a situation of severe trial. At some point in your life, you will experience, if you have not already, an event that will change you. It will change you, not just influence you, change you. Don't be afraid. What you do with this life-altering event will reveal to yourself who you really are. And I'm going to tell you, it's good to know who you really are, isn't it? And it's good to find out what you really believe. And it'll be good to find out that you are stronger than you think you are. 
Because if you had the whole plan laid out for your life and you saw all the battles that are coming, you'd say, there's no way. But when you start walking out, you take the risk, you walk in obedience, you face it, you'll look back and say, dear God, by your grace, I got through that. I could have never done it without your ability. Don't fear that with that crucible event, his grace will come up and match it every time. You know, the word says his grace is sufficient. What does that mean? It means his grace is enough. It's enough. You won't like the process, but if you can, if you can adjust your mindset from escape to just to get out of it to a commitment that you're going to walk it through, you'll eventually get to contentment. I took care of my husband for 10 years. He was diagnosed at age 57. I know that sounds old to you, but it's very young. And the closer you get, the younger it'll be. He was the vice president of Christ for the Nations. I was the dean of students. Mary was the dean of women. We just had a great team, and we were rocking and rolling and impacting the nations. And he got diagnosed with Alzheimer's at age 57. He was a big, strong, healthy, handsome, six-foot-four, 250 pounds of hunka hunka burning love. (laughs) Nice-looking man. Wasn't he, Mary? I mean, nice-looking guy. And then one day I came home, and I mentioned some friends, and he didn't know who they were. And little did I know that I was going to have a 10-year span of hell, of watching my husband not only not know who they were, but eventually not know, know who I am. Not able to get, I kept, kept him at home for 10 years. Mary would come and visit and help with him and whatever it, she could do. It wasn't easy. And I had such a, an idea of, I just have to escape. I have to get out of this. I have to escape. I'd crawl in the hospital bed with him and say, God, take us now. Just let me hold on <laughs> Because it was hard, and I thought, I cannot do this. And people would say, well, how long are you going to take care of him? Why don't you just put him someplace? The next book I'm going to write, you know what it's going to be called? The Dumb Things Christians Say. (laughs) We say the dumbest things to each other in the midst of our sorrow. Just be, if you don't have anything, just be quiet. I had somebody compare, (laughs) they lost their dog. They compared that to what I was going through with my husband. Now, that's dumb. See, that's a stupid spirit I talked about earlier. It just jumps on people. (laughs) But I got to the place where I had to quit thinking about escape. And I made a commitment that this is what I'm going to do. I, I made a commitment one night to the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is all I do the rest of my life, if I never teach, speak, travel, anything, if all I do the rest of my life is brush my husband's teeth and Whatever else I had to do, you can use your imagination. So be it. Nothing changed with him, but you know what? I changed. And I went from escape to that commitment, which then ultimately ended up in contentment. God, I trust you with my life. So don't fear that crucible, whatever that event. And it changed my life. His grace is sufficient. Amen. Lord, thank you for tonight. I thank you for these women. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, your provision. Father, I thank you that you lead and guide and direct our steps. Each and every one, Lord, let us have the revelation of these simple truths that Being whole and healed on the inside is better than outward success. And mercy is greater than justice. Kindness is better than being right. 
Father, I just thank you that uh, your truth is what sets us free. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each individual woman in this room tonight to face, not to be afraid of whatever crucible event may come into their lives, but they trust you and have expectation with you that you are the great and mighty God. You are the contributor to our strength and your grace really is sufficient. And I bless each and every one now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me, one, one more story. I, would, I had a season where I took my husband to an adult daycare because I was still teaching. And he liked going. Uh, if he didn't like going, I wouldn't have taken him. But he liked going. I think he thought it was an all-day restaurant because they fed him all the time. And he, he was a big guy. He didn't know who they were or who I was or, you know. But I would go pick him up. Uh, and he would look at me so I knew he knew I was somebody. He couldn't say my name. And he didn't. He forgot how to get in the car. So I'd have to, he was big, six foot four, like I said, 250, 60 pounds. I'd have to pick up his leg and put his first leg in and then pick up his other leg and scoot him in, and, which eventually I had a slip disc and a torn meniscus. And I was just exhausted. I just thought, oh, God. And I'm walking around the car, and an elderly gentleman came out with his little wife, and she was on a walker. And he walked by me, and he looked over at me. He said, it's kind of hard, isn't it? I said, it really is. And I was just desperate and he looked back at me he said you know what he said you just do the next thing next and I got in the car and I said Jesus you just spoke to me because our fear when we're in the midst of a real trial like that our fear is what's going to happen tomorrow I, I mean I've been married since I was 18 how did I I didn't know how not to be married I'd been married since I was 18 how was I going to function in a whole new realm. And so when that gentleman said, just do the, I thought, I did. Jesus, you spoke to me. And I thought, okay, the next thing is, I'm going to get him out of the car. And then the next thing is, I'm going to set him in his chair. And it just helped me to grab a hold of the fact that you just do the, if we, if we saw the whole race ahead of us, we would panic. That's why we sing that old song, one day at a time. Hold on, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. <laughs> because we have to do the next thing next. We don't always feel like we have the strength for the whole race, do we? The whole race looks pretty daunting. But you just do the next thing next. Yes. You ask really difficult questions sometimes. <laughs> I mean... Yes, I mean, it helps. I mean, you can't make, again, you can't make that happen. Friendship grows. Love grows. You know, when we got married, when I was 18, you think we loved each other. Ooh, we love each other. But it wasn't until I laid my life down for him that I realized, okay, I love this man. And friendship, you know, we were, our personalities were so different, weren't they, Mary? I mean, we are just, we are so different. He was mercy. I was mean. It was just, it was just interesting. But if you can have friendship and love, it, but it grows. So you don't have to overanalyze it. You know what? Another thing, you guys, you know what your problem is? I love you, but you know what your problem is? You overanalyze everything. Well, you just relax. Everybody, <gasps> relax. And just enjoy being young and make good decisions and make choices and be prepared for all the things that I've just talked to you about tonight. But don't overanalyze. You'll analyze your dreams away. Amen. Okay. Uh, anybody else have a question? Or Karen? You can take questions. What, what do you guys want? What do you want to do? I'm not going to sing a special or anything, so... <laughs>
Anybody else? If not, go ahead, come up. I'll, I can hang out here if you want to just come talk to me. Or Mary, or if you want prayer, Mary can slap hands on you too and cast out devils. <laughs> I'm so glad you came. It's nice to meet y'all, all y'all. It's a privilege to be here.